Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of the man that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast. August 19th. One of Star Trek's biggest icons. Or celebrity fans. Or both. We'll be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by the amazing actress Julie Benz. Why are we now traveling into space? Why, indeed, did we trouble to look past the next mountain? Our prime obligation to ourselves is to make the unknown known. We are on a journey to keep an appointment with whatever we are. Welcome back to Quoting Gene Roddenberry, and we are continuing this week with Tamara Krinsky, who is an Emmy-winning writer, but also, if you've ever been on a, a superhero red carpet, you've seen her there interviewing <laughs> all the big actors and all the celebrities. I'm sure she's got a lot of stories. <laughs> I have signed so many NDAs that, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you guys, per this quote, uh, there's a lot going on actually in this quote. I think mm -hmm. what I kind of fixated on for a second was the ending, which we'll talk about the whole quote, but we are on a journey to keep an appointment with whatever we are, which I kind of read as like our destiny, you know? Mm -hmm. It could mean many, many different things. I'm just saying my interpretation is we're on the journey to where we're going, you know? Like wherever you are, wherever you go, there you are. But you're on a bigger mm -hmm. journey somewhere else. And it's inevitable that going outside ourselves, our own way of thinking, our own tri-county area, our own country, Right. Mm -hmm. It gives us a much broader perspective when we travel to another country. I think I've always come back with a different image of myself in America. But yeah. that is all part of this. But we'd like to think it's not a manifest destiny. And that's why we love Star Trek so much, because the whole point wasn't to go and conquer. Right. It's <laughs> like mm -hmm. every other every other yeah. life form out there. It was to coexist, learn from, grow from. Well, it's so doing? funny. It's so funny that you bring that up because some of the language in here, like the the phrase prime obligation stuck out to me because, of course, it made me think of prime directive, which yes. is exactly what you were just talking about. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that idea that the non-interference directive, mm -hmm. um, especially for, you know, civilizations that are not at a certain technological level. Uh, so I went to a story someone told me yesterday about um, Reagan sent a letter to um, the Star Trek, couple Star Trek writers, President Reagan had sent when he was mm -hmm. alive, sent a letter saying, I just love the show so much. And, and, and what's, the, what's the mission or the missive of Star Trek? And, and the writer said, we should tell him it's, may the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs> because they were obviously not fans of him, right? right. Mm -hmm. But right. back to this trend, what do you think about... Because I still, like, I've mentioned so many times on this podcast that we have so many social issues here, 
that we still mm-hmm. got to work out, right? So sometimes yep. I get a little, <laughs> I'm unsure. I see us spending all this money on a space program and I'm like, yo, but we got homeless encampments and motherfuckers ain't got houses. Right. So, right. but I think right. that one does not, I'm trying to accept that one is not predate the other, right? Or knock yeah. out the other one. Trent, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing that resonated with me is that this quote is very, it reminds me of the quote that Terry Farrell read last week when Gene asked the question, does this human creature belong in space? So again, he's asking two questions. Why are we now traveling into space? And why indeed do we trouble to look past the next mountain? Like from the naysayer's point of view. And he is answering those questions by saying, uh, one, it is our prime obligation. It is the prime directive of us as humans uh, to make the unknown known. Like that is what is in the core of our being. And then we are on a journey to uh, keep an appointment with whatever we are to to manifest what our, like you, you mentioned, Rachel, our destiny is to grow greater than we think we can, uh, to break from the bounds of, well, this planet to go into space uh, and, and, and explore. And to your point about the amount of money that the government spends on like space exploration, for example, um, I looked it up because I was very curious when I read this quote. And the highest that the NASA budget ever was, was in 1965 and 1966, when it was 4% of the federal budget. And then since 1975, the budget's been less than 1%. Up until 1991 and 1993, when it raised to just over 1%, and then it dropped below 1% and has stayed well below 1%. Who got the money? The military? No, this is not NASA's budget. No, I know. I'm saying who got the other 3% of their money? Because it certainly wasn't the roads. (laughs) Right. So wherever that money went, somewhere. But NASA was only getting, you know, this amount of money. So I, I guess what uh, I, I understand because in my mind, Gene was such a visionary and he was such a proponent of uh, being a champion for humanity and for obviously space exploration that he and the Star Trek writers envisioned this uh, wonderful future in the 23rd century and beyond where we humans have eradicated hunger, uh, there's no money and there's literacy and that was the starting point for humanity to finally be able to break free of this planet and to go out into space. So that is a dream that I think that he had and that we still are talking about 55 years later. And uh, absolutely, he would he would advocate for that dream to come true. Yes, yes, we should be spending our resources here on Earth as we need to with homeless population and climate change and all of that. But I I don't fault him at all for championing our uh, hopeful one day ability to truly travel among among the stars to explore and hopefully contact other life out there. Tamara, what do you think of this quote? Well, I think there is a sort of adding on to what Trent was saying. I do think there is power in doing great things. There's there's the power in being able to imagine that and and see that. And there's a lot of real world problems on the ground right now, but I think mm-hmm. that we still need to be able to invest in that vision because in the doing of those things, sometimes we find some unexpected solutions for yes. what's happening here. 
there's a place called the Institute for Advanced Study that's in Princeton, New Jersey. And it's an institute that was founded by Einstein and a couple of other couple of other scientists that were fleeing fleeing Europe when Nazis wanted them to not be around anymore. But the whole idea of the institute was that there should be a place for theoretical research, for for pure research, without mm-hmm. a particular goal in mind, without a particular commercial product in mind, mm. something that you were curious about in the universe that you wanted to study and discover. And the great thing is, I mean, obviously it's now been around for, it'll be close to 100 years and another decade, and they've expanded. There's art there. There's all kinds of amazing stuff. But they're still allowing people to come and have the space and the time to think and work on these questions and these problems. And in, you know, sort of in a way that maybe runs parallel to this sort of that that mental exploration, that mental what's around the next mountain. And in doing so, there are many, many things that have been discovered that have practical applications that can then solve problems here, everyday wow. problems, real problems. So I think it's important to have both. You can't have one or the other. You need you need to kind of have both in parallel. I kind of love that you tied it in, in your what you were talking about to uh, a non-commercial thing Mm -hmm. right that Mm -hmm. it's wasn't set up for a product we can sell uh you know yeah that's exactly the point of it yeah no i i kind of love that and i'm listen american i love that we can make money and create things here and make money off it i'm not knocking it right but i'm also saying i know that there's other things out there that are important besides how much money can I make off this thing? Right. I also right. relate this quote in a certain way to, uh, I wrote a book last year that was a Jungian psychology-based tarot book. And that is to me traveling into your own inner space. You know, mm-hmm. I always say mm-hmm. like the whole point of the book was like, you can use it to therapize yourself. You know, it's like a shrink in a box. And I think most people forget all the woo woo stuff. It's literally psychology tools. So that is traveling into your inner space. And I feel a little bit like this quote where it says our prime obligation to our, and obligation is an interesting word here, right? I picked up that too. I was curious about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I mean, I want, well, tell me your thoughts on it. So, you know, it actually made me go, well, like, why is this an obligation to ourselves? You know, this idea that we have a, a responsibility to keep learning and growing and, and pushing but ourselves. I, I what if someone an, is content? But I, th- <laughs> I think we have I'm an obligation. I'm not saying I am. But... I think we have an ob- Part of why I mentioned the book is I think we have an obligation, all of us, to look inside our inner self and see where the parts are working and what things need a little oiling, right? Or what right. things need right. a little adjusting. Mm-hmm. But right. obligation in this, I think, is kind of great because he's saying it's not just a choice it's an it's not an option it's an obligation Mm -hmm. to our own humanity and ourselves that we are on a journey to our future because if we stay in stasis where we are now then we're not evolving right and i again i said it before there's philosophies uh there are philosophers i like to lose in guattari french French philosophers, and they have a book out called A Thousand Plateaus, and it states, you know, we're always in a state of becoming, right? We're never really that thing. If I'm that thing, it's already gone. That moment is gone. I'm already on my way to becoming something else. So I see that as part of this, our prime obligation to ourselves is to make the unknown known. Each plateau of those thousand plateaus they mentioned in the book is a new outer space to be explored. Mm -hmm. So I think it's quite philosophical, in a way, you know, and yeah. optimistic, actually, to say we are on a journey to keep an appointment with whatever we are or whatever we're becoming. 
I think it's optimistic, and uh, sometimes I need to be more optimistic to know, yes, we're all on this journey, right? All yeah, of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of those words imply a commitment, uh, obligation and appointment. It's a commitment to to something as opposed to just being static and letting things happen to you, which some people are happy to do, and that's fine. But we as a species, we as creature, the human creatures... Uh, we do have a commitment to uh, one another, to ourselves first, but then to one another, and as a community to better ourselves, ideally, so we can reach that, you know, 23rd century, 24th century world that Jean envisioned, where there is no hunger, where the planet is one community, one humankind, where there's no more capitalism. There's no more competition for things. And in order to, to springboard from that and then venture out into space and travel to uh, see new worlds and meet new civilizations and to learn from them and to maybe teach them about us in a way where we don't impose, but we are guests or visitors. But, uh, good point. And I have a question for you guys, is, which is part of why a lot of these quotes that uh, Mr. Roddenberry talks about are being ready, in a sense, to evolve. Because what are your thoughts? Because I think in the meantime, like my feeling tomorrow is if any yeah. intelligent life came through, they would go, y'all are not ready and right. zoom on by. Well, I mean, that's what first contact is about, Um, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'll just drop in the nugget like I got my if you've been listening all week, you know that I got my SAG card on first contact. And that's exactly what that moment was about when, you know, Cochran sent up the flare and they're like, "Okay, they're they're ready now. And that goes to something that I've been thinking about with this quote, you know, that phrase, keep an appointment with whatever we are and the idea of potential. And so whether it's our potential as a species and the good that we can hopefully ostensibly do as we go out into this universe in different ways, but also what is our individual potential and who are we developing into? And that's, Rachel, what you were talking about earlier with that inner journey and figuring that out and taking – having the the wherewithal to give ourselves the time and the space to figure that out for each of us. And then if we can each do that, hopefully we're all kind of rising together. Listen, Mm -hmm. this is slightly off topic, but I'd be remiss not to mention this today. Like, (laughs) no, but really how it's it's kind of in line with what you're saying. But like, how ready are we for any of this if, you know, they're banning swim caps that cover my hair at the Olympics? You know, they've done that. That's a big thing. I'm Mm -hmm. arguing with people over on Twitter Uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, my hair is bigger than yours. I need a bigger Mm -hmm. swim cap to fit Mm -hmm. my hair in. And those caps are banned. So the fact that my person, my very person, is offensive or untenable or intolerable says to me, I would keep on flying by aliens unless you have a means to come and talk to us and help us with things like that. Because it Uh seems blatant. That's racism in a nutshell to ban a cap that would cover my hair. Now, the the other Olympic. Olympian from this week uh, who's been banned for marijuana. I want to say, listen, your opinion on that can vary, but really harkens back to the 30s and marijuana panic to me when black and brown people were disparaged. That's when weed started to get a bad Mm -hmm. rap because it was used by black and brown people. And then there were a lot of movies. Um, I'm forgetting the big marijuana one, but we're in an interesting time, you know, where we have a a foot and a half in the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And half a foot in the future. 
and I hope that these watershed moan, reefer madness is the name of it. And I oh, hope, yeah. yeah, I know. I was like, I don't know I'm thinking All of right. this. But I hope in the meantime, and, and by the way, it's fine if people disagree with weed. That's not even the point, right? The point is mm-hmm. the weed slows you down. She did that with weed in her system. Let her run. Uh, But even if you disagree with that, that's fine. We can agree to disagree or we can discuss Mm -hmm. it and maybe change (laughs) each other's opinions. But some of these social issues that are going on, when I look at these quotes, I think to myself, "We're, we're not quite there yet, Mr. Roddenberry. But I love that you are a white man during this time period 40 years ago who uh, Mm -hmm. wanted to be inclusive and thought, Mm -hmm. no, no, the way we get to our future that we are heading towards, uh, we are on a journey to keep an appointment with whatever we are. He was so aware of all this, and he knew Mm -hmm. that part of that was being more accepting of, you know, who who we are and our differences here on Earth. And another soapbox from Rachel Drew. (laughs) No, I I love all of your points on this, especially. Like, we, we are not ready now, that is for sure. And we were not ready in 1960s when Star Trek premiered. That is why it was very important for Gene and all of the Star Trek writers to, to envision, to give us a blueprint of hope that his belief in humanity, that we are greater than the mistakes that we continue to make today, and to give us the shining star you know, out in the distance, up there in the 23rd century, for us to work toward. So that's... I, you know, I've mentioned this many times. That's one of the things that I love so much about Star Trek uh, and sci-fi in general. And this belief was so important to Gene that uh, this whole idea of space exploration was something that he reminded us of in front of every single episode of Star Trek, the original series and Star Trek, the next generation. Space is the final frontier and it is mankind's duty and obligation to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no one has gone before. This was a mantra that he reminded us over and over and over about. And and that's what resonates with me when I read this Such quote. Such good points. Tamara, would you want to parse this quote a little more? Well, I guess, you know, I know we're going to have to probably wrap this up a little bit. So I think I think what's so interesting to me kind of taking both of these points and putting them together is on one hand, you know, there was the importance in the Star Trek world of having a diverse cast, of having people Mm -hmm. who looked different, of having women in command positions for the first time, of having an interracial kiss on screen, things like that. So on one hand, that was the aspirational universe that he was creating. On the other hand, this group of people then went and explored all of these other places in space where they were exploring the topics uh, that were plaguing us here on Earth, the topics of xenophobia, the topics of, you know, you look different than I do. You communicate differently than I do. I'm scared of you. Am I going to react with fear or with an open hand, with love and cooperation and curiosity or with defenses? And so I think that's kind of the genius of it. He was reflecting the problems that we were having, but he was using this aspirational world to to do so. And I think that's pretty brilliant. Absolutely. Goodness, I can think of no better way to wrap it up than that. It was so well said, Tamara. Thank you for that. we really enjoyed discussing these quotes with you. You know, it's um, it's been a joy to have you on. Oh, and we're thanks. lucky we've got you for one or two more episodes. So yay. Yeah. yay! And if you would like to watch a video of Julie reading today's quote, you could check it out on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we hope you'll join us again tomorrow for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us, post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.